Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Pastor Stephen Prius from a little church in Iowa once wrote an article that reflected on how Luther viewed the transfiguration of Jesus. And his article begins this way. To consider Christ's glorious transfiguration on its own is eye-opening. To hear how Luther describes this glory as yours nearly bursts the eyes from their sockets, bringing hope to the Christian heart. Now, to say that the transfiguration was eye-opening is probably an understatement, especially for the disciples who witnessed it. But to describe it as our glory is not just eye-bursting, but mind-blowing. And can we even say, maybe even sacrilegious? And even if it doesn't rise to that level, it sure seems to me that a comment like that meets the criteria of the current me culture. To somehow shift the focus of an event that was all about God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, onto ourselves seems just wrong. It seems like a perfect example of the illness that society suffers today. Selfishness and self-centeredness. So how could it be that Luther would have made such a claim? Our very own precious Luther just seems impossible. But it isn't. This is what he said. He writes, The resurrection of the dead and the future glory and brightness of our bodies are shown. For this was something very remarkable, that Christ was transfigured while yet in a mortal body, which was subject to suffering. What then shall it be when mortality shall be swallowed up and nothing shall remain but immortality and glory. You see, what Luther is doing here is he's connecting the transfiguration directly to us. He's making a direct connection for us. And he's connecting it to us, not the immediate us, not the sinful us, but the future us, the one that will be raised from the dead. Our resurrected bodies will have that same immortal glory as the Lord's. Why? Because Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead. But it's not just because He was crucified and raised from the dead, but also because He allows us 
to share in his death and in his resurrection. See, Luther claims that our hope in our own glory is tied directly to Jesus' glory. It's a glory that he shares with us. And so, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, it becomes a foretaste of what we will experience in the world to come. So this is not about us, after all. It is about Jesus, the future glory and the brightness of our bodies is shown because Jesus is in us. It's His glory that shines through us. And that is mind-blowing. Now in that quote, Luther also talks about Christ being transfigured while still in a mortal body. A body that is subject to suffering. It's a point worth exploring. To do that, we have to go back a few verses where Jesus talks to his disciples and asks them how the crowds identify him. And they reply, John the Baptist, Elijah. But then Peter, when asked, says, God's Messiah. And right then, then, we pick up with the next verse. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now the disciples, probably at that point, are thinking to themselves, You know, Jesus, I'm sorry for you but I'm relieved that's not me. But here's where it becomes personal. Here's where it ties us to the transfiguration that follows. After Jesus talks about his own suffering, he says this, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking now after that? It's not good enough to just follow Jesus. He is asking them to suffer and even die for him. And Jesus' message was not limited to just them, but to the whole church, to us. We, too, are called to take up the cross of suffering and even death in his name. And so, after telling them these things, it's, Little wonder, then, that Jesus leads them out of the city and up the mountain 
where they could bear witness to his transfiguration. And starting in the passage that we, that we read, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Thoughts of their own call to suffer and to die for Christ was still on their mind. It had to be. But here before them stood Messiah in human form, being transfigured radiantly in heavenly glory. This is what waited for them on the other side of their own suffering and eventual death. Eternal life in glorious splendor. The proof was undeniable because there stood Moses and there stood Elijah. And they were alive. So there must be life after an earthly death. And if there's life, that means that death has somehow been defeated. And if death has been defeated, then sin has also been defeated. And if sin has been defeated, somebody defeated it. And there, in front of them, was that someone. There, in front of them, stood the hope that they could attach their faith to in all of its splendor and in all of its glory. How must that have strengthened their faith? See, that gave meaning to the suffering that they would experience and endure in His name. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? So, tonight, I ask you, walk up the mountain. Leave the busyness of the city, the busyness of your daily lives, leave it behind and walk up the mountain to pray. Just as the disciples took their own worries along, you should too. Take it all. Your concerns, your stresses, your sins, take it all. Put it in a backpack and journey up the mountain just as Jesus did so you can find quietness and find an opportunity to pray. The goal up on top of the mountain is not a mountaintop experience. 
but it's to make time for Jesus to do for you what He did for His disciples. He wants to remind you that the Son of Man suffered and was rejected. That He was crucified. That He died. That He was buried. And that all of this was done voluntarily for your sins. He wants to remind you that He has allowed you to suffer too. Maybe even unto death. That following Him means suffering with and suffering for Him. That following means sacrifice. And He wants to connect with you on a human level. He wants you to know that He can relate to your struggles and your pains. That He understands and even shares in those sufferings. But even more than all of that, He wants to send you a Holy Spirit to work in your heart to increase your faith so that you can continue to place your hope and your trust in Him and in Him alone. He wants you to know that your suffering and even your eventual death has meaning. That there is life after this one. And He wants you to know that in the resurrection of your body, there will be glory and brightness of Jesus our Savior. It's mind-blowing, isn't it? Maybe a better question is this. It's heart-changing, isn't it? Please pray with me. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Amen.